Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, this is Kong Son with Believe in SESU Basketball here on the Believe Podcast Network, a place with a show for every team in San Diego and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? On this episode, we're going to discuss why it's so hard to recruit players to play for the Aztecs of San Diego State. So without further ado, here we go. As always, if you have any questions, please feel free to drop a comment on any of our social media platforms on Believe.com or in the ratings box or it, where is it? Any notes on wherever you get your podcasts? I can't talk, but nevertheless, one of the more puzzling questions as an Aztec alumni is asking myself, why is it so hard for any sports team to recruit top-level talent to San Diego State? I mean, one, it's in the heart of San Diego. I mean, the city's nickname is America's finest city, for God's sakes. It rains only like 10 days a year, if that, and it's like 75 degrees pretty much the rest of the time. I remember freshman year going through the catalog of courses and seeing surfing as a class you can take for general ed, and that was just amazing. And later on, I was roommates with kinesiology majors, and here I am trying to figure out, you know, it, investment portfolios and things of that nature. And my roommate is putting together a plan on how to teach five-year-old kids playing basketball for PE at a middle school. It's, it's an incredible place to go to college and it's incredible place for you to grow into a young adult. So why is, I mean, if, if, if the city is a check, if the weather is a check, if the location is a check, if, the vibe is just nice and mellow if San Diego is the city where athletes go in the summertime as their vacation spots. Why is it so hard for Aztecs to be considered a top flight school similar to those that we're used to seeing? I mean, specifically speaking with college basketball, UCLA, USC, you know, the Pac-12 or Texas or Kentucky or Louisville or Dukes or the North Carolinas, like why is it so difficult? The short answer is it's just a revolving door. Every problem you have has a solution, but it's just a sort of a cart before the horse type of scenario. Um, first thing I could think of is just that college athletics is a cutthroat business and what that means is pretty much you are going to get in only a fraction of what you're going to put out. So a winning school and a winning program in one year is not going to dramatically shift. Scheduling is not going to dramatically shift money. Only after sustained success will a school start to see, you know, matchups against other big name colleges. And that's just because these schedules are planned out years in advance. I mean, it's 2020 now. Um, 
you know, theoretically, the coaching staff already knows who they're going to play in 2022, 2023. Teams that are lining up for tournaments in, you know, 2024 even maybe. So it's hard to change that if things are already set in stone years in advance. Um, with that being said, the goal, end goal of a business is to put out the best product or service. And the NCAA, unfortunately, is no different. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of the NCAA, and they have a lot of flaws, which I think would take an entirely separate episode to get into. But focusing on just the overall goal of a school to put out the best product, they want to put out the best team to recruit the best talent and to recruit the best boosters, so to speak. So with that, you can get over-signing. You know, coaches in schools want to make sure they have a highly competitive team year in and year out. And what that can result in is t- schools trying to sign players as a reason for depth. Um, so they can try to sign, you know, a top 10 point guard and sign a top 25 point guard and think to themselves, our team is deep. But what that does is these kids come in trying to really find a footing coming from a situation or a scenario where they're they're the main uh, ball handler, main shot creator, main scorer, whatever the case is. And now they're just essentially feeling like a shell of themselves and trying to navigate that as an 18, 19, 20-year-old when a lot of times in this landscape, you only have a year or two to really make that last and final push into the pros. So you're combining all of that into this, trying to find a way to present yourself as a player that's going to be um, integral to a professional team's future success, while at the same time, a coach has to manage uh, on the other side, just trying to win and trying to put the quickest turnaround if you're having a losing season or sustained high growth. And sometimes what you lose is practice, is the nurture portion that one would anticipate a coach would go through. And with that, you end up setting lofty goals and expectations. One risk that I specifically see with the guys next year is just the expectation from fans to have a similar season. This was a one in literally 99 time that it was going to happen. But once you're successful, fans and alumni really want to see that continued success. And what that does, it puts pressure on the performance each game from one week to another which then circles back into this cutthroat nature of trying to put out the best product, which then results in coaches thinking, okay, if next season I'm losing XYZ players, then I need to sign ABC players and also just in case D, E, and F players. And now you're seeing this go in a big circle. Um, you don't, you just don't get, unfortunately, a lot of room for growth. You're just expected to perform. And these are kids we're talking about, 18-year-olds, some of them 17-year-olds, expected to be great from day one. When was the last time, if you can picture yourself back in when you're 17, 18, 
you had that expectation. And how did that turn out? You know, did you really let it happen without help from anyone else? I mean, the answer is no. We all had some help along the way. We all had time to learn from our mistakes and grow and be able to try things, even if it's not necessarily the most effective. But in college athletics, you just don't get that opportunity. You just feel like at times you sit there and you just do what the coach says. And sometimes you can't help but ask yourself, are they putting out what's best for me or are, am I just a cog in their machine to help their cause? And it's a very mentally challenging proposition to be in when you're, you know, barely legal to vote. Um, it's just an incredible amount of pressure beyond just the pressure to perform uh, on game days. It Mentally, it's got to be just so much to have to deal with at once. And at the end of the at the end of the day, you know the ultimate goal is to to make it to the pros. And if you can't, then you have to sort of settle with this new chapter. Whereas the rest of us going to college is working on continuing the chapter that we started with. You know, so it, it's a different playing field. And a lot of people probably tend to argue they signed up for it. They've been great at it. They're God-given talent, so you know they, that talent will win out. They just have to continue to do what the coach says. And sure, I mean, there's plenty of examples of people that made it, but there's hundreds more that didn't, and hundreds more that sort of had those expectations and just didn't work out for whatever reason. You know, um, another thing that that you really gets in the way of growth as a program. And that gets in the way, but a big hurdle as a college basketball program is this what have you done for me lately type of mindset. You know, uh, if if you're a high school kid, great at basketball, all the colleges are coming at you, and you have your choice at whatever school you want. If you do that exercise, you close your eyes and you just pick, I can think between five schools right now that I would want to go to. They're likely going to be schools that either were successful growing up and you have sort of a connection to it as a kid or that they're successful now. And you know that that will help you give the best chance at the pros. The sustained success in big programs will always get the first nod. So even a very successful season a historic season like the Aztecs just had it makes a tiny dent I guess but it's just a blip on the radar versus continued 25 plus win seasons from a place like Kansas you already know that you're going to a bigger school more exposure bigger conference and you're getting similar success than a mid-major who has just a few more wins, but it's against a lot less talent, a lot less perceived uh, prestigious of a, or a lot less prestige of a school, a lot less competitive conference. You know, where's the upside there? You know, and it's very hard for somebody to say, I'm going to take on all that risk so that I could be the guy, I could be the girl 
that really turns a program around because it rarely happens. So I feel like schools like San Diego State is always going to play from down like two scores at all times because of this. And if you're, if you are San Diego State and you are continuously getting success and you're sustaining this run like we did last season, then you definitely can make the case to jump to a bigger conference. But it's all competition. You know, everybody wants to remain competitive. Everyone wants to remain successful so they can attract the best talent and the best alumni. And if you're a, a rival conference and uh, they're thinking about bringing San Diego State in and you see this competitive nature about them, I would imagine they're asking themselves, how does that impact our bottom line? How does that impact our product? Does it dilute it? Does it make it more difficult for us to be successful? And the competitive nature doesn't necessarily manifest in itself in the basketball sense, but more in the business sense. How does this affect my pockets? And unfortunately, that's just how the NCAA and these schools think. Um, especially if a team's used to winning and another winning program's coming in, it's sort of like, whoa, I, I get your own, you know, winning space. I've already, I've been here for a long time. Like why, are, why is a new kid on the block trying to come in here and take over? You know, we're, we're the OGs from the beginning. And so it, it's really hard to move from one conference to another, unless you ha- you're in sort of a middle ground where you, f- you're easily the most successful program in a particular conference, but not so successful that you overtake another conference. Maybe you end up just being a middle of the pack to the bottom half. And then of course, yeah, another school means more games, more games, means more money, more money means this other school generates more money. and means that we all get a bigger, you know, our piece of the pie starts to grow. So, Essentially, every reason here comes down to just bottom lines, comes down to consistent success, comes down to boosters, and it all points to this structure that we call the NCAA. It's a very cruel circle of life. Um, You know, it's one that I wish someone knew the answer to because a school like San Diego State and schools in LA, schools in New York, there's so many places that have just premier locations, premier cities, places where college kids would have the time of their lives. And obviously I'm biased and speaking from perspective of being an alumni, but what we're going to, no matter how successful we are, we're always just going to be, you know, the, the rising mid major, the Cinderella story. We're never going to be these, uh, favorites. And from a competitive standpoint, I'm not necessarily looking at it from a sense of, I want more talent. I'm looking at it from a sense of I want other bigger name schools to start taking the Aztecs seriously. We've gone in year in and year out and beat these schools. And if we don't beat them, we give them 
you know, everything we've got and the way that we play, the way that the ASICs play with defensive rebounding. And now this recent surge of playmaking and shooting, I confidently believe that we can hang with any school in the country. I just wish that we got the opportunity to see if I'm right or wrong. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. We're available wherever podcasts can be found. You can find us on Believe.com and at Believe Sports. I'm Kongsan. I am at N-A-S-G-N-A-K on Instagram. And if you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact us at Believe.com. That is all for this episode. I hope everybody is well and safe and happy out there. Um, Please continue to obey the rules, listen to the doctors and the science, but always make sure to check in on everyone that you care about, talk to each other, be nice to each other, and until next time, go Aztecs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.